Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Welcome back to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where we believe the King James Bible. We don't interpret it. We don't Greek it. We don't Hebrew it. (laughs) We just believe it. We also believe in the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our aim here is to elevate Him, to lift up His holy name, and to honor and glorify the Lord, and do all that we can to be pleasing to Him. And, you know, there can be some conflict in that. Some people, uh, they use the King James Bible. They use a Bible, but they don't really believe it. And that's, that's made clear when they open it and they, and they, and they try and determine how to interpret a verse rather than believing what it says and teaching what it says. And so if you come here for these Bible lessons and to study through the Word of God with us here, you're going to be encouraged to believe it. Don't interpret it. Don't make it mean something that it doesn't say. Just believe what it says. And so we will do our best here to always do that. We're picking back up in the book of Haggai. And this week, we're going to be in Haggai chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. And um, we're going to look at this phrase, I will fill this house with glory. Now, this phrase is not without complication here. And, uh, and that's okay. You know, it, it, some of the Word of God is going to require some extra effort and study to try and figure out and, and make sense of. And uh, the, the difficulty is found in that the Lord said, I will fill this latter house with glory. And that, that poses some problems because uh, so far as we can tell, the Lord did not do that with Zerubbabel's temple. Uh, in fact, um, it, it would seem that when the Lord Jesus Christ came and, and stood on earth and taught in the temple, it's highly unlikely uh, that the temple that existed at that point in time had much relationship to Zerubbabel's temple. Um, the, temple that, that, uh, the temple that the Lord stood in, the Jews said that that temple was, was built, it took 40 and 3 years to build that temple. Uh, it didn't take that long to build Haggai's temple. Even, even with the delays, even with their starting and then stopping and then starting again, it did not take 40 plus years to rebuild Haggai's 
temple or the temple in Haggai's day, which was the building was led by Zerubbabel. And so the temple that was built as a result of Haggai's preaching, as far as we can tell, the Lord did not fill this latter house with glory. Uh, now, surely he used it and, and surely he um, it, it was there and, and, and served the purposes that the Lord had for it at that time. And, and, uh, and the Jews, if you read through the book of the Chronicles and the book of the Kings, you'll find that they had ups and downs and they had times of revival and they had times of apostasy and they just continued to go in and out of these unnecessary uh, roller coaster religious rides, if you, if you can put it that way. So let's read our passage and then um, we'll try to make sense of it and see if we can make clear what the Lord is teaching us here. Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations. And the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. So the, the context of the passage puts us in the future. Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Now we, we looked at that several studies back or a couple studies back, however long ago that was. Uh, and this future shaking of the earth is related to the, to, to the coming, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So then that would also uh, encourage us to believe that this glorified, that, that, you know, the, the filling of this house with glory would also be future. And, and may not pertain to Haggai's day and, and does not pertain, I don't believe, to Haggai's day. Um, the Lord, you know, if you listen to our last broadcast, the Lord was, was doing what he could to encourage these people who were going through difficult times. And part of that encouragement was informing them that there is coming a day when the Lord Jesus Christ will come. Emmanuel will come. The Messiah will come. He's going to return. Now, this will be his this is referring to his second coming. This is not the rapture. This is not his first coming. This will be his second coming when he comes back and he, and he puts an end to all that is happening on the earth that, that is contrary to his desire. He, he will then establish his own kingdom and he will rule and reign in righteousness. So this appears to be a reference to the future millennial temple. And uh, that will exist during Christ's reign on earth. And if you, if you read this passage in, Hag, in Haggai, uh, alongside Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48, you, you can, it, it, it kind of becomes, it, it, it's made clear. It, you, you begin to see it and you begin to understand it better and, and, it, and it flows together very well. This glorification happens after the great earthquake we spoke of in previous studies. And, um, we've gone through this in the book of Haggai. We went through and we looked, I mean, that, that, that great earthquake is spoken of all throughout the Bible. It's, it's, a, it's a large event in the Bible, and one we need to pay close attention to. God spoke of it often and, and dispersed it throughout the Word of God. And so um, th- that shaking is going to happen, and then the, the Lord is prepared to return. He's going to come back not long after that, and sometimes it's spoken of in conjunction with His return. And, um, and so this future glorification deals with the future millennial temple 
and the second coming of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of glory. If you look at uh, Revelation 6, let's read about that shaking of that earthquake once again, verses 12 through 17. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth. Even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Now, you know, it, it might be good for people who say, you know, I, who, who say I'm going to party in hell, or who, who mock and scoff at sin and reject Jesus Christ. It might be good for them to read this. There will be no escape. Now, currently, you have the option to mock God. You have the option to enjoy your sin. You have, you have the option to pretend that sin's not a big deal. Um, you, can, you can toy with God. God's grace and God's mercy is available to you to the extent that you can do that right now. But man, a day is coming when you will hide from that same lamb. You will hide from the lion of the tribe of Judah. Um, it's it's going to be a terrible day. It's it's all fun and games right now, and and it shouldn't be. And honestly, as we talked about in the last broadcast, it's not. You know, they 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 mock and scoff openly, but again, in the night watches when they have to settle down and they have to think about their life and they have to think about death and they have to think about their future. I was witnessing to a young man last night. It was an interesting conversation. Um, I asked him if he was a sinner. He said no. I said, well, do you sin? Have you committed a sin? He said, yes. What do you call someone that commits sins? He said, well, you call him a sinner. I said, okay, then what are you? No, I'm not a sinner. Wait a minute. Okay, let's let's do this again. Have you sinned? Are you a sinner? You know, do you sin? Well, yes, of course, everybody does. I said, okay. What do you call someone who commits sin? A sinner. So what are you? Oh, I'm not a sinner. (laughs) I said, okay, have you you ever told a lie? He said, yes. I said, what do you call someone who tells lies? He said, oh, you call them a liar. I said, so what are you? Oh, I'm not a liar. I, what? <laughs> okay. I, I, I don't know where the disconnect is here. I, I said, let me ask you one more question. Are, are, were you born in Uganda? He said, yes. I said, but you're not a Ugandan. I am a Ugandan. Why, were you a, why are you a Ugandan? Because I was born in Uganda. <laughs> I said, okay, you commit sin, but you're not a sinner you tell lies, but you're not a liar. You were born in Uganda, but you're a Ugandan. I said, you know, you know what's happening here? You don't want to be subject to what God says about sinners, though you know very well you are a sinner. And you're doing your best to escape the realities of what you are. And it's not going to work. You're only, you're only deceiving yourself. 
And these people mock, they mock sin, they scoff at sin, they mock Jesus Christ, they scoff at his coming, they mock his coming, and then eventually that day is going to come. And, and the one you mocked, the one who shed his blood for the sin that you thought was so wonderful, you're going to stand before him and you're going to beg the earth to hide you. And the earth itself is going to say, I'm not participating in anything to do with you. (laughs) I'm leaving. The heaven and the earth will flee at his coming. Now, if you go, uh, you look at what Peter said. Peter said, the Lord is going to melt the heavens and the earth with the the elements. He's going to melt them with a fervent heat. Now, imagine this. You've been mocking God. You've been scoffing God. You, You mocked his coming. You mocked heaven. You mocked hell. You, you just—it's all just fun and games. Live it up. You only live once. Drink, eat, drink, and be merry. Who cares what God says? And then He comes. Then He returns, like He said He would. And you beg the rocks, and you beg the mountains, and you beg the forest to please hide you from Him. And then everything around you just dissolves and melts away. And now you're standing on nothing. In the middle of nothing, there's nothing around you. It's just you and then the, the, the Jesus Christ that you mocked sitting on his throne in front of you. And now the lines are going to be formed and the books are going to be opened and you're going to be judged. Man, what a, what a day that will be. Not in a good way. Not for those of you who reject Jesus Christ. I would encourage you <laughs> believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Kiss the son lest he be angry. I, I, I would encourage you to take advantage of his grace and his mercy and submit yourself to him now. Don't wait for this coming day when, when the lion of the tribe of Judah returns to deal with his enemies. And you're, you're putting yourself on the side of his enemies when you reject him. Don't do that. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this this glory is connected to the coming peace that can only be brought by the Prince of Peace. And again, the last broadcast, we looked at several characteristics of Jesus Christ and who he was and who he is. And, And we made clear, according to the word of God, that peace can only be found in Jesus Christ. He's the Prince of Peace. He's going to get, he will give those who trust in him peace that the world can't understand, peace that the world cannot give. Um, that's all, it's only available through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look back at Haggai verses, uh, Haggai chapter 2, verse 9, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. They had no peace in Haggai's day. They're going through great turmoil. They're struggling. They're surrounded on all sides. The walls of Jerusalem are still fallen from way back when Nebuchadnezzar took them down 70 plus years prior. And they're trying to rebuild the temple. They're trying to rebuild their lives. And they left off building the temple and just focused on building their own personal lives. And uh, they've got adversaries all around them. God was fighting against them due to their disobedience. And 
Things are just rough. Well, finally they repented and began to rebuild the temple like God said and put a focus on being obedient to the Lord rather than self-centered, self-focused, and, and all the things that come with that. And, and immediately the adversaries return, trouble you know, begins again, and, and um, it's just a hard time. They're trying to rebuild their lives in Jerusalem after leaving Babylon. They're trying to strip themselves of Babylonian culture and language and, and lifestyle and, and, and all the things that go with that. And, and they've returned their focus to the law of Moses. They've returned their focus uh, uh, to singing the songs that David sung and the way David sang them. And, and they're, they're trying to rebuild good, godly lives. And, and it's, it's hard especially when the world is fighting so hard against you. And, and I'm certain there were those amongst Judah who, who didn't think they should be that radical and didn't think they had to do everything according to the Word of God and didn't think that we had to restore every standard and every conviction that God wanted us to do. And just because Moses did it, we don't, we don't have to have our, our grandmother's church. And, and you know, we, we can maybe look to some more modern and uh, liberal and and progressive ideas, and we can set aside some of these things that you know Moses was kind of radical and Moses was kind of legalistic, you know, with that whole law thing. And we can set all that aside and maybe put more focus on on you know someone who will say nice things to us, and and we can worship in a nice way, in a contemporary way. <laughs> and they've got all these battles going on amongst themselves, and then with the adversaries of Judah, and then with the kings of Persia, and, and then a building project, and that's never easy. And the Lord steps in and says, let me give you some encouragement. I'm going to give you peace. I'm sending the Prince of Peace to you. He's coming. And these realities, when the Lord gives them to us, are great consolation it's something for us to look forward to as we labor here and now through the difficulties we face here in this world. As our brethren and our churches uh, exchange the Word of God for light shows and exchange the, the music of God for <laughs> contemporary garbage, and as, as they exchange the convictions and the standards established by the Word of God with you know modern niceties and progressive wokeism, those of us who, who want to stay focused on what God said and to do things the way God did them, we've got a battle on our hands. And that, that's, that's amongst our own brethren. What, what about the world who, who, who despises Jesus Christ and despises the Word of God and wants nothing to do with it? That's another battle. Well, we're also told to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, so we got to start churches, and we got to build up men. We got to train men to be able to train other men, and to go out and start more churches. And and it's just, it's it's the same battles applied to the New Testament church rather than to Judah in their day. But we've got great consolation. The Lord is coming back. The Lord is helping us. He's working alongside us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Behold, I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth, and then uh, at the end of the world. And then you go to Mark chapter 16, and the Lord, it says the Lord is working alongside us from heaven. Man, we've got great consolation. We just got to stay focused on what the Lord would have us to do. That future glory is coming. 
it, it may not be so clear right now, but we need to be like those people in Hebrews 11 who looked forward. The Lord said that they, they looked forward to, to, to what was coming, and because of that, he was not ashamed to be called their God. It pleased him that they did that and that they lived in such a way. Um, a day is coming when Emmanuel will return. Jesus Christ is going to return. Israel's Messiah, the church's Savior, he's coming. He's coming. So what we need to do now and what they needed to do at that point in time is stay focused on what the Lord wanted them to do. Work. Don't be afraid. Don't be, don't be overwhelmed. Don't, don't be entangled with the affairs of this world. Don't be fearful from the, the, the mocking and the scoffing from this world. Uh, don't be fearful even from the violence and, and the pain they intend to inflict if we will not back down. Um, let's stay focused on the Lord and what he would have us to do. Isaiah 9 verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 60 verse 18, Violence shall no more be heard in thy land, wasting nor destruction within thy borders, but thou shalt call thy walls salvation and thy gates praise. Now, this in Haggai's time, they had no walls. They had no gates. Nehemiah has to come back and, and lead an effort to restore the walls and the gates of, of Jerusalem. And so they're, they're just in turmoil, and they just needed some encouragement from the Lord. The Lord recognized that and sent them this word. The, you know, the desire of all nations is going to come, and I will fill this house with glory. Just, just get the work done. Zerubbabel's temple was connected to the grace of God, not peace. To the mercy of God, not peace. Remember, they, they were taken into captivity due to their disobedience. And then just as God prophesied, they were released by the Persian king Cyrus. You can read that in Isaiah 45, long before Cyrus was ever even thought of by, by anyone in his family, much less his mother and his father. And um, the Lord prophesied a king named Cyrus would be used to send Judah back to Jerusalem, and, and God did just that. The Lord did exactly as he said. And so, so you see God's grace and God's mercy and, and releasing Judah from uh, captivity that they deserved as, as a form of judgment upon the way that they were living their lives. And they get back to Jerusalem, they're supposed to rebuild the temple. Now you would think, having gone through 70 years of captivity, man, they, they, would, they would get focused on rebuilding that temple, but they lost that focus quickly and, um, and went right back into apostasy and God had to deal with it. But God continued to be gracious. He said, Haggai, Haggai preached to them, they repented. It pleased the Lord that they repented. And he said, okay, now that you have repented, I am with you. Let's, let's continue. Um, they, they did not have a moment of peace after their return. The walls were down. The, the temple is not rebuilt. It was just a time of turmoil. But the Lord informed them there is coming a day of peace. It will, exi it, it will exist when the Prince of Peace is there with you. And so Israel has a future of glory and a future of peace with Jesus Christ, who, who has all the resources necessary to sustain such a life. You know, um, when the Lord comes and he establishes these things, it, it won't be temporary. It's, 
That's not a minor thing. I hope you've considered that. When every nation desires stability and peace and prosperity and and good, strong leadership and uh, the safety that comes with all these things. And uh, that's why countries today would submit to a dictator if he would just keep them safe. (laughs) They might live on rations and he might exterminate a few people here and there, but if generally overall, if there's safety and security, people will, people will put up with a lot in the name of safety and security and a little bit of food and some TV to watch and, and internet to look at. <laughs> um, people will sell themselves short. You know, I mean, it, it's, it doesn't take much to get people to, to sell themselves out. Now, Jesus Christ is is offering everlasting safety, everlasting security, everlasting prosperity, everlasting peace, and people reject him because it means they have to look forward to that rather than having it, you know, right here, right now. If there's a possibility right now that I'm going to have trouble, then he's not what I'm looking for. (laughs) Meanwhile, they're living in the midst of trouble. (laughs) It's 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 amazing. The, the, the lack of, in, in a world where people claim to be rational and, and they want to live according to logic, they are the most illogical people that you will ever contact, that you'll ever have a conversation with. They defy logic. And, and yet they have the option to do so. It's, it's their choice. It's completely up to them. Now, Haggai chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, often men would prefer the silver and the gold without God, but there is no peace in that life. You know, when I'm trying to illustrate this, I often use Robin Williams, the the American comedian and actor, as an example. Who had more than Robin Williams? I mean, there are a few people in the world. I believe he was worth like, and, and I'm, I'm, it's been a while since I've looked into it. I don't recall exactly the numbers, but it was somewhere like around, around $500 million. He had a beautiful mansion in Hollywood. He, he was famous. Everybody loved him because he was funny and, and, um, and could make you laugh and, and he could make you feel so warm and, and, you know, he just had this amazing way of, of taking you on this roller coaster ride of, of feeling good and laughing and all these wonderful things. But that man continually mocked God and mocked the idea of God. And he hung himself in his own mansion. He had the prosperity. He had the, the money. He had the wealth. He had the fame. He had the notoriety. He had everything everyone thinks they want, and he had it without God. And it did nothing for him in the end. Now, it's a tragedy that happened to him. I'm, I'm not, you know, please don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not mocking that man. I'm not, I'm not making light of what happened to him. He needed Jesus Christ. He needed the peace that only Jesus can provide. This world cannot provide it for you. And so with his life and his mind focused on the world around him and with his success coming from the world around him and, and the peace that he had only came from the world. But Jesus said, I'm going to give you peace that the world cannot give you. And we can't make light of that. It's so important. 
And so man would, if you, if you could offer man millions, of, if, you, if you went to a man with a Bible and said, I could give you hundreds of millions of dollars, or I could give you eternity with Jesus Christ, which would you take? <laughs> They're going to go for the money every time. Few would reject the money and say, no, I'm, I'm going to stick with the Lord Jesus. I will not reject Jesus Christ in exchange for money. I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm not going to be so short-sighted that, that I, I put my focus on money that can't go with me versus what Christ promises to give me in eternity. It's just it, it's unbelievably important to, to think those things through and to meditate on those things. How, how, many, how many rich and famous people have killed themselves? Because no peace, no consolation, no purpose, nothing came with all that money. But you can have all that in Jesus Christ. You can be a, the poorest pauper in existence with Jesus Christ, and you are still seated in heavenly places with the Lord. And, um, and so that's, there's, there's wonderful consolation in that. The Lord is good to us. I, I just I would encourage you, it, it, it's better to be with the Lord than to, than to be a multimillionaire. Now, what might be better than that is to be both. <laughs> if you could have millions of dollars and be with Jesus Christ and still be, be destined for heaven, that's a good, that's a good place to be. And, and some people have, some Christians have, have reached that point. Some have millions of dollars and fame and notoriety. Um, and, and they have not lost focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Very few, very, very few, but there are some out there. So financial freedom is often a hindrance to faith in God. It's, it's rarely a motivation. It's, it rarely helps you in your Christian life. Um, financial freedom would be wonderful, but few people can handle financial freedom and still stay focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. So you got to be careful what you ask for. Uh, it, it, it can serve as a distraction or it can serve as a source of self-dependence. I don't need God. You go down to Wall Street and try to witness to people and tell them about Jesus Christ. Those rich multimillionaires, they think they own the earth. They don't think they have any need for God whatsoever. They, they don't see the problem. They don't see sin as a problem. They assume that their financial stability and their financial prosperity means that there's nothing wrong with them. And that's a false assumption. That's a terrible assumption to make. Um, if you're self-dependent, then what need do you have of God? When our heart's given over to the Lord, you know, it, it, it's when our heart is given over to the Lord, when He reigns in our heart, then we become indifferent towards silver and gold. You know, it's it, honestly, it's nice to have money. But everybody doesn't have money, and everybody's not going to get money. It's just not going to happen. Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. But everybody can have Jesus Christ. That is abundantly available to everyone, everywhere, and that will give you a future of hope, something to look forward to after struggling through this life in poverty. It'd be terrible to struggle through this life in poverty, then die and go to hell. But what if you struggle through this life in poverty and then lift up your eyes in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is going, who has prepared a place for you in heaven, who has prepared an inheritance for you in heaven, who, who, who's going to allow you to rule and reign with him in, in future kingdoms, whatever, whatever the future holds, according to the Lord or whatever his desire is. What a wonderful future to look forward to 
after struggling in, in poverty. You know, so the solution is trust the Lord. Uh, the silver and gold become a tool for God's glory rather than an object of lustful satisfaction. And, um, you know, Cyrus provided these people with the money they needed to rebuild the temple. Later, um, Darius restored that, that provision and made, money, made whatever money was necessary available for them to rebuild the temple. And so that money became a tool to accomplish God's purpose, which was his temple. And so, praise the Lord. We we don't we don't want to get focused on the silver and gold. God, silver and gold belongs to God. If you need that later, if you need it now, you know maybe the Lord will supply it. Maybe you won't. But later, it it what you need will be abundantly available in eternity with Jesus Christ. I, I wouldn't. It, it it's easy to get. It's easy to become misled. It's easy to get off track and focused on money. It, it really it is. Everybody wants money. Everybody wants to live a comfortable life. I do, but I'm not willing to exchange the Lord Jesus Christ for those things. The Lord has been good to us. I have no complaints. We are spoiled. Um, my wife and I, my family and I, we man, God has been so good to us. So I have no complaints. I. I you know, it's easy, and this is my trouble, it's easy for me to sit here and teach this because God has been so good to us. And and I hope, honestly, I'm just being real with you, I hope we're never, I hope my family and I are never confronted with a situation where we are in, are in dire poverty. I hope the Lord continues to bless us the way he has. We, we, we want for, no, we're not rich, but we want for nothing. Um, God is good. And and if I can stay right there and keep my family right there, that's okay. Is, is that we don't have more than we need, and we don't have less than 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 we need, and and uh, we're, we're right there and on on an even kill, and we can just stay focused on the Lord. We don't have riches to distract us, and we don't have poverty to distract us. We just we just stay focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, and He blesses us and gives us what we need. Praise God. Now back to Haggai chapter two, verse nine. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Now look at Ezekiel 43, and we'll read verses 2 through 5. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east, and his voice was like a noise of many waters. And the earth shined with his glory. And, and it was according to the appearance of the vision which I saw, even according to the vision that I saw when I came to destroy the city. And the visions were like the vision that I saw by the river Chebar. And I fell upon my face, and the glory of the Lord came into the house by the way of the gate whose prospect is toward the east. So the Spirit took me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house and I heard him speaking unto me out of the house, and the man stood by me. So this voice of many waters, as you read about that in, in Revelation 1, that, that's a direct reference to Jesus Christ. And, and the Son, the Son spoken of, it is spoken of in numerous places concerning Jesus Christ. One of the most notable, where, where it is spelled S-U-N, is Malachi chapter 4, when the Son of Righteousness shall come. So Ezekiel is seeing the Lord return to the, to earth and take up residence in this latter house. 
And when you read, again, Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48, you see these continual references to the, to the return of the glory. The glory left the house in the, in the earlier parts of Ezekiel. It's gone. It, it, it left the house and it went to heaven. And, um, and that, that is uh, most likely the, the departure in, at that point in time of the, of the Ark of the Covenant and all that was inside of it, it, it left. God's glory what was behind that veil that was so precious, it's gone. You know, Israel got to a point that, that God could no longer trust them to, to maintain those things, and so, so they left. But God's not finished with Israel. It's not over for Israel. The Lord is going to return. The Lord has future dealings with Israel. You, you can read about it in multiple places in the Bible, but uh, most notably in Romans 9, 10, and 11, and then uh, that the future tribulation, which deals specifically with with Daniel's people, the time of Jacob's trouble when the Lord's going to deal with them, and then he's going to return, he's going to rescue them, and he's going to fill that latter house with glory. Praise God. That's a day to look forward to. Look at Ezekiel 44, verse 4. Then brought he me the way of the north gate before the house, and I looked, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord, and I fell upon my face. This is fulfillment of, of, of that promise. He, he tells those people in Haggai, you've got, you have a future to look forward to in the Lord. Stay focused on the Lord. Stay focused on what he would have you to do. Stay focused on how he'd have you to live. Stay focused on the work he'd have you to do. I know it's hard. And, and God's not going to take away that hardness. He's not taking away the trouble. He's going to teach you how to go through that trouble. And, and your consolation as you go through all of that is, is what's going to happen on the other end of it all. And, and it's a wonderful time to look forward to, forward to. So God's glory will fill this latter house. The Lord of hosts is coming. He will shake the heavens and the earth. And when the desire of all nations is finally come, he will enter this latter house and it will be filled with glory just as God promised. And uh, Zerubbabel's house saw the Lord in his first coming, possibly. Um, it's, not, it's not particularly clear as you uh, study the history of these temples and as you study, even if, as you study it in the Bible, like I said, it, it appears that in John when, when Jesus said he would tear down this temple, speaking of his body, they thought he was talking about the physical building. And they said this, and you're going to rebuild it in three days? This house was 40 and some odd years in building. Um, Haggai's temple, Zerubbabel's temple, was not 40, 40 plus years in building. Um, that'd be Herod's temple. Now, it's possible that uh, Herod's temple was was an extension of Haggai's temple or Zerubbabel's temple. It's, it's possible that as Herod came in and took over, that, that as sort of a favor to the Jews, if you can call it that, he, he invested in the temple that existed and expanded it, and it became you know, this monstrosity in Herod's day. In Herod, in Herod, when King Herod was there and he, and he made these expansions, the high priest had a palace in the temple. Like that, you, you won't read about that anywhere in the Word of God. Not anywhere where God instructed them to do that. There was no, there was no provision for that. And uh, so what it seems is it's either a runaway, a runaway priesthood splurging on themselves or, or Herod is 
uh, trying to show some favoritism to the priesthood and uh, provided the, the great high priest a, a palace that he could live in. Um, you know, Rome and, and, and Herod as, as one of the uh, you know, governors of Rome or subsidiaries to Rome, uh, kind of a lower level ruler uh, at, during that time, in order to try and prevent riots and uprisings and things of that sort, they would, uh, you know, you had a couple of choices. You could either rule with an iron fist and crack down uh, harshly on the people, or you could lavish them with gifts. And I guess if you had, in a time of prosperity, when Rome and, and when Herod had money and the ability to just, I need you to be quiet, and I need you to do what I say, and if you will, I'm going to make things real nice for you. Uh, you can do that. But in a time when they don't have that kind of money, it goes the other direction. Either you do what I say or I'm going to crack your head. <laughs> and um, whoever has the biggest guns at that time gets gets to do that, I suppose. So Zerubbabel's house uh, possibly saw the Lord, but it's it, the more I look into it, the more I study it, the more I uh, try to piece it all together, it looks less and less like it was Zerubbabel's temple uh, it was Herod's temple at that time. Uh, again, whether it was torn down and rebuilt or whether it's just an expansion under Herod's day, that's the part that's that's un, unclear. Um, but the but the per, the point is that that house was not was not filled with glory in this way. Um, the the temple, the millennial temple, will be filled with this glory. This is a future prophecy. It's it's future. It's 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 coming in the future. So. Uh, and then with this glory comes peace. The, the connection is too tight. The Prince of Peace and, and the, 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 the Lord of Glory, they're, they're coming. They're the same person. They're one in the, they're one in the same. So when the, when the Lord of Glory comes and fills that house with glory, he's going to establish his kingdom, rule with a rod of iron, and there will be peace. Peace according to the Lord Jesus Christ, not, not my definition of peace, not the United Nations definition of peace, which is an odd definition if you look at how they apply it around the world. Um, so the Lord is coming. He's going to set these things straight. This prophecy in Haggai goes far beyond Zerubbabel's day. Uh, and so the same is true for us. We, we've got much to look forward to. Israel, even in their current dispersion, has much to look forward to. The Christian life is bigger than any one of us. And it's bigger than our, our generation. It's bigger than our time. It's bigger than our people. It's bigger than our culture. Um, we have, man, we've, we've got a wonderful work to do, and we've got a wonderful Lord to serve, and it has eternal implications. We need to keep that in mind. Judah had current service to perform to the Lord, but they were also given uh, perspective and expectation concerning the future. You and I have been given the same. And you can't uh, minimize how important that is. When it comes to having purpose in life and, and, you know, why am I doing this? Well, we've been given purpose and expectation and understanding of what's coming, especially the more faithful we are to do what the Lord wants us to do. The Lord will shake heaven. He will shake the earth. He will shake all nations. And then he will bring glory and peace. <laughs> Man, I look forward to that day. In fact, look at Hebrews 10, verses 34 through 39. For he had compassion of me and my bonds, 
and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. Now, man, that's a hard saying. He's, he's writing to a group of people who took joyfully the spoiling of their goods. How would you handle that? How would I handle that? I don't want anything stolen from me or taken from me. Not in the name of Jesus or anybody else. <laughs> but these people, they took joyfully the spoiling of their goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring sus- substance. Now, that's, that's the key. How did they handle how did they handle this terrible situation that they're going through? They looked forward to, to an enduring substance. They looked forward to heaven. That's Hebrews 11. These people who look forward to what's coming. And the Lord said, I am not ashamed to be called their God. They didn't look back. They didn't stay focused on earthly things. They had set their, he- their, their affections on things above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of the Father. And they said, that's my home. I have... I have more there that is of more value with Jesus Christ and with all that he's promised to give. I could stand to lose some things here. It's okay. So the, the, the verse goes on, the passage goes on. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For you, and, and, and again, there, there it is again. Don't cast away your confidence your confidence in what, what we have to look forward to is a great recompense of reward. It's, it's, it's wonderful consolation. If, if, you'll, if you'll understand the value of this, it'll greatly help you in your Christian life. It's too many people, too many Christians are living in depression and, and living in, in emotional instability and, and, uh, and, and just, they're so depressed and it's because they have not gotten hold of what, the, what, what we have to look forward to and this future recompense of reward. It's of great value here and now. And, and the Lord wants you to know that. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, so you, so you see continually what it's referring to here. After you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while... And he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just, now, okay, so so yet a little while, you need patience. There are future promises. You need to look forward to heaven and what's coming in heaven and what's coming when when we're with the Lord, not at the here and now, not at what's taken from you and not at the trouble around you and and, uh, not at the hindrances and, and all the things that are going on that just make life difficult, even as a Christian. Look forward that you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. So he's, he's giving you this future projection, and then it shifts. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. The Lord is coming and the fulfillment of his promises will be coming with them. I hope you can allow that to stir you in such a way that it, that it helps you daily, that it helps you hourly, minute by minute. Man, the Lord is coming. And man, oh, those promises he's made when he comes. This is hard. I don't want to do this. I don't want to have to live like this every day. I don't want to have to work this job every day. Uh, maybe, maybe you're, maybe you have 
a terrible illness, cancer, diabetes, physical pain in your body. I don't want to do this every day. I don't want to have to deal with this every day. But man, Jesus has promised me a new body. He's promised to wipe away those tears. He's promised great joy and peace in heaven with him. I'm just going to keep looking forward to that day. I'm going to stay faithful. I'm not going to draw back. I'm going to stay focused on the Lord. And this is what the Lord is doing. This, this, this consolation, this, this future to look forward to, this hope is what he's giving to Judah as they're trying to build this house and they're going through great turmoil. He's given us the same. He's given us great consolation. He's given us wonderful future hope and promises And we need to rely on those day by day as we just remain faithful and as we just do the work that the Lord has given us and as we stay faithful to him and do what he wants us to do and live the way he wants us to live, that there is a wonderful reward at the end of all that and it makes it all worthwhile. And I hope that's a help and a blessing to you. And God bless you as you stay faithful to Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.